Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional grade industrial supplies. Count on real time product availability and fast delivery. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Welcome back to another episode of the Weekly Driver Podcast. My name is James Rea. I write an automotive column for Bay Area News Group, which is the San Jose Mercury and the East Bay Times in Walnut Creek. And I am the founder and senior editor of theweeklydriver.com. My friend and co-host, I think we're almost 300 episodes into this, is Bruce Aldrich. And today we've uh, we've talked off air already. We, we like our new guest. He's very funny. But his name is Rodney Kemmer. And Rodney has written a book uh, that appeals to everybody who has a car, probably, or most people who have a car, who have a garage, and it's called uh, Tales from the Garage. So, Rodney, welcome to our podcast. Thanks for being available. Well, thank you, James, and thank you, Bruce. I'm uh, thrilled to be here, thrilled great. to talk to you. Great. I think, uh, as we've done with other offers, authors, uh, I would ask you to give us a little background. What did the idea pop into your head that this would make a good book, and as you said off air, it's, you've had a, a good um, good reaction and a good response to the book, so how did it all begin? Well, uh, you, know, I didn't, you know, I didn't intend to write a book. I mean, this is, you know, I can go back. The first article I did for a car magazine was maybe 12 years ago. Yes. Um, and it was a cold submission, because I didn't know how it worked. I just, I picked up, a, it was an issue of Hemming's Classic Car, I think. Yes. And, oops. Oh, the yeah. dog reads classic car, obviously. Yeah, obviously, that's our watchdog. That's our dog, yes. Yeah, clearly. Um, anyway, so I had I had was reading an issue of Hemming's Classic Car, and I read some uh, story, and I just went, this is terrible. Uh-huh. I could do better than this. Yes. I mean, really, I, I said those words, and I went, oh, so I sat down, I wrote a piece, <laughs> I sent it into them absolutely cold. I had no idea how to do it or what the submission process or anything was. Yes. And... And of course, I heard nothing. So you know, you go, okay, well, okay, I got my answer. I didn't. Obviously, I don't know how to do this. And a month later, I go to the mailbox, pull out Hemming's classic car, thumbing through it. There's my article. Oh boy! Nobody called me. Nobody emailed me. Nobody said anything. And I'm reading it, going, well, wait a minute. This is the piece I wrote. And I went, and there's no byline. Oh, what, geez. What, what the hell was this? They, they took my piece. Now I'm outraged. Right? Yes, yes. So now, instead of being thrilled, I'm outraged. Uh, and then I look up at the top, and there, one-sixteenth of an inch is the byline. Oh, boy. <laughs> and, I, and I went, oh, okay. Yes. And with that, I just started writing pieces and cold submissions to various magazines, and everything got published. Uh, Rodney, what was your background before you became a, a writer and journalist? I was a theater major. Theater major, gotcha, <laughs> gotcha. Which prepares you prepares you for life, I yes. think. And and you live in Beverly Hills, and I've seen you uh, your picture behind. Uh, is it an old Honda that's behind you? Um, yeah, that's my uh, 1978 uh, Honda Accord LX that I bought new off the truck. Oh my gosh. In 78, and my first new car, you know. Yes, and so this, the book that's come out, uh, how did that, 
condense a bunch of ideas? How did you determine that that was going to be the name, number one, and, and the, the broad appeal that it, it seems to have had so far? Well, what had happened is I had ran into Don Weberg, who was the editor and publisher of Garage Style Magazine, at a car show one day, and I read his magazine, I liked his magazine, and I thought, I could probably write for his magazine. And he was actually the only editor that I had actually run into face-to-face. So I just pitched him the, the idea. I said, look, I can write a piece for you called Tales from the Garage, from different stories and things that I do, and... And he said, great, send me one. And so I sent him one. He loved it. He ran it. And that was that. So I just started writing a regular column for him. Um, I wrote for other magazines, too, occasionally. Um, then, then the book kind of came about because uh, I realized I could maybe get a broader audience for these pieces because they seemed to have more of a universal appeal. And uh, so then I thought, okay, so I took the pieces threw away all the artwork that we had done for the magazines and then hired a graphic designer to create all new graphics and artwork for them. That probably took the longest. That was a year and a half, almost two years to do that. Yes. Uh, as you can tell, if you look at the book, you go, whoa. I have not seen the book. I wish I could go, whoa, because it's a it's a very interesting topic. Um, I heard it's like a collection of like 30 short stories. 30, it's 30 essays, uh-huh. um, and each one has its own graphic language. Uh, nothing is repeated in the book, and the graphics continue through each chapter so that there's a continuation of the visual language. And I did that as a sort of a cross between a magazine and a book. You know how a magazine will rely heavily on graphics and stuff to pull you in, and uh, to get you to read the text. And so that, since my background was pretty much magazine writing, I thought, well, I'm going to do a book with the same idea. And I've never seen anybody really do it this way, so that you get the attractiveness and the appeal of magazine graphics and color and so forth. But it's a book. You have all that text. The, uh, you mentioned uh, just before we started about the reaction, some of the reaction you've received and... You mentioned that you've received a fair amount of reaction from from women who have read the book. Can you share well, share some of that? Yeah, it's really kind of interesting. I mean, it, it sort of surprised me a little bit. I mean, you know, guys tend to think, oh, cars, you know, it's the, the macho world and stuff. But women love cars, too. Yes. And, you know, and women have attractions and memories and histories and so forth, just like men do. They just don't talk about it as much. <laughs> That's true. Um, and so what I've, I've been sort of surprised that some of the biggest reaction I've gotten to the book has been from women who email me and say, well, I picked it up and I was going to read one chapter. And she said, before I knew it, the whole afternoon was gone and I had read the entire book. She said, I just wanted to keep you know, going on to the next story and to the next story. And because it's not a continuous narrative, you can pick it up and put it down anytime you want. That's probably the best compliment somebody could <laughs> receive. It is. is. I read your book I, in a day. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my. You don't yeah. know. I got three emails in two days yes. with exactly the same story, saying they had picked it up with the intention of reading one chapter and didn't get up until they had finished the whole book. Uh, I was like, wow, I couldn't write that, you know? Mm-hmm. No, you couldn't. Uh, so what I did was, the other thing is, it is a memoir, but it's a disguised memoir, mm-hmm. meaning... Every other story, every other chapter is personal to me. Yes. Uh, the other ones, so it's, it's my memories plus the memories of other people interwoven. 
So every other chapter, it flips back and forth. Gotcha. Rodney, when I think of uh, the garage, for me, it's about working on cars. Um, and now, as I age, it's more about sitting there looking at them and pondering. Uh, yes. You, they, you run the gamut, I guess, on in your essays? I don't... I'm not a... Uh, I'm not a... I'll, I'll, you know, I will wrench on a car slightly. I'm not a, I'm not a mechanic. I'm not a nuts and bolts guy. I love doing as much as I can. But this is not... Tales from the Garage really is about the memory of the cars and the garages and what all that evokes and what these things represent to people because they represent their lives, you know, either a certain point in their life or something they attained or it just, they're just, they're, we call them metal boxes of memories. You know, I mean, they just, they hold everything. And for some people, it's very, you know, it's a serious a very serious thing because you have guys i'm you've heard these stories all the time where a guy gets older he gets a little more money then he goes and chases that first car that he bought when he was 16 years old sure it, uh, it tracks is. it down and gets it home and then spends tons of money restoring <laughs> it. right right <laughs> yes for, for no really good reason other than he's just kind of preserving his youth you know Sure. I think uh, in some ways it reminds me just how you phrased it of whether it's a car or a watch. You know, a lot of guys can will inherit a car from a father, a grandfather, a brother, a friend who passes. And the same way on a different level with watches, you can, I've said this before, you can sit next to somebody on the airplane and have a vintage watch on you, say, nice watch. And you might hear a good story about it was his grandfather's and or his grandfather's and his father's now his. So there's some correlation, I think, between watches oh, and vintage absolutely. cars. Yeah. Absolutely. And that's why I think a lot of car guys like watches, too. Yes. You know, that they, they go hand in hand. But it's the same thing. I mean, how are you ever going to duplicate wearing your father's World War II watch? You know what I mean? Yes. That, that he walked through Italy with or something. I mean, you know, you can't replicate that. And cars are the same thing. Sure. They, they, just, they are just full of this kind of stuff. So these stories, you know, I say half are personal to me and then half are memories of other people, but they all tend to be significant stories, you know, that uh, uh, represent something a little out of the ordinary. Rodney, what is your background in cars? Where where did you grow up and when did you start liking cars? I'm from the, is... I'm from the Midwest. Uh-huh. Uh, grew up in Kansas. I, I actually had an Aunt Emmeline, and we used to go into the basement for tornadoes. Wow. So 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 when I first saw The Wizard of Oz, I thought it was a documentary. That's hilarious. <laughs> Good old Aunt M. <laughs> yeah. I'm going, well, basement, tornadoes, I have an Aunt M. I get it. You, you get know? it. Watch out for the witches. <laughs> exactly. Um so I've just always loved cars, you know, as a kid. And in the book, you know, the earliest memories, you know, are of toy cars and what they meant to me at the time, and then it sort of goes from there. I don't know what it is. I think there's a car gene, personally. Did, I think you're either born with it or you aren't, you know. That, that's probably true. Did I hear, did I read somewhere that you have a bunch of toy cars from your youth? Unfortunately, yes, I have all of them. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> yeah. 
Are those uh, matchbox cars or other kinds? Um, well, the first ones were obviously, you know, sort of hubly, you know, toy trucks, you know, metal that you can bang around and throw across the yard and everything. Yes. And I, 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 for some odd reason, I still have those. And that's a chapter in the book is why I have them and what they represented. And then from that, it went to uh, the plastic model cars, you know, the 124 scale, you know, yes. that whole period. And for three years, I think I was obsessed with those things because that was the closest I could get to a real car. Sure. What is your fleet of cars now, or, or do you have a fleet? Well, most of them are in the book. I mean, most okay. of them, there's a, there is a chapter in the book of almost about each one and what it represented and the story of how it came about and why it's there and so forth. Um, so there's, I hate to say, but I think maybe there's eight vehicles in the fleet right now. <laughs> that's pretty good. That's sure. A good, that's a good selection. That's a good number. Yeah. You know, it's uh, hard to keep them all, uh, operating at the same time though. Are you uh, constantly turning them over and getting new ones or you think you're no, kind of set? A, I'm a uh, buy and hold guy. Okay. You know, I mean, I've got, uh, say my first, the first new car I ever bought was the 1978 Honda Accord. Uh, and in fact, I liked it so much, I bought another one on Bring a Trailer a couple of years ago because parts are getting so difficult to find for the, the Japanese cars. Um, so I bought another one, and it's actually in better shape than mine. Okay. Wow. <laughs> so mine gonna... may be the donor kidney, you know. Sure. <laughs> the, uh, the book... Uh, has uh, some very good um, uh, accolades for you. Uh, I think anybody in the car world knows uh, Dan Neal, and people outside the car world may not, but he's a pretty prestigious guy. And, of course, Jay Leno, uh, if you can share, how did that come about, that you got these wonderful testimonials from people who are well, ingrained in the car industry? It's, it's a very good question. Um, I think it's all based on absolute insecurity. Because uh, uh, what I thought was, you know, and and once I put the book together and I thought, okay, who is going to care about this book? And I thought, nobody, Mm because nobody reads bylines in magazines. I mean, you you know, nobody. So nobody, certainly no one knew who I was. So I thought, how am I going to get attention to this book? And I thought, well, if I can find people that have a higher profile than me, which means a profile at all, then and get them to say something nice about it, mm-hmm. then maybe that will get people's attention. Um, but again, these people, I didn't know any of these people, not one of them. And so I thought, well, you be nice and ask them if they will please take a look at your book, which I have to tell you is the biggest ask you can possibly do, because what you're doing, I call it the adult book report. Yes. You're, you're, you're saying to people that have really busy lives, like Mr. Leno and, and Dan Neal and, you know, and mm-hmm. all these people are really busy. And you're saying, excuse me, you don't know me. <laughs> Would yes. you please read my book and write a succinct paragraph about it? That's a, that's a book report. Sure. That's a book report. Yes. And you're asking these people who don't know you to do that. Um, and that's what I did. Um, and I like to think that it was the quality of the material that got the response that I got. Yeah, that's great. I'm sure it was. Uh, yeah, those guys, uh, particularly Dan, uh, with his, well, I think he used to be the LA times now, of course, wall street journal for years and, um, his review columns. I've said this to friends. You have to read this guy. You may not care about cars, oh. but, 
but you'll talk about Shakespeare and somehow make it into a great car review column. Oh, no. Dan, <laughs> Dan is really my uh, my journalistic idol. He really is. And uh, actually, he was the last quote that I got because he was he was like a, you know, my total wish list. And I had gotten sort of everybody else by that point, and I was waiting for something, and I thought, what the heck? You know, what do I have to lose? He can ignore me if he wants. Uh, so I just wrote him a cold email and said, would you, uh, I admire your work. You know, I've admired it for years. And uh, uh, could you take a look at my, my first book? And if you like it, you know, and he was incredibly gracious, That's incredibly great. gracious. In fact, everybody with all of those quotes in the front of that book, every single one of them were the most gracious, generous people you can imagine, because they're hearing from an unknown writer and they took time to read it and write something nice about it and put their name to it. I mean, really incredible. That is quite something. The, it is incredible. The process um, of writing a book, uh, I've asked a number of people, and I was only part of one book, uh, which I co-authored years ago, and the process for me was um, very tedious, and I learned a lot about line reading and using gerunds and things. I, as a veteran journalist, even then, I, I learned so much. What was that process for you, and did you have a big, like I don't know, a bulletin board with all these ideas on it to wean stuff down, or can you give us some examples of what that was like for you? Well, what essentially, because I've been doing this for a number of years, I had various of these essays in various forms in different publications, so yes. they all existed kind of in some form already. Um, so it wasn't like I was sitting down cold to a stack of paper saying, I'm now going to start my book. Yes. I had a lot of material to, to start with. Um, and then it was just going through it and deciding, keep this, get rid of this, you know, not use this. This is a better one, that kind of thing. So it was essentially taking the best of the essays because some of these have appeared in a lot of different magazines. Cause I used to get requests to, uh, reprint them, you know, yes. uh, so a few of them, particularly the one that seemed to get the most all the time was this, the one called The Last Ride, which is three separate stories of people chasing their dream car. Okay. That got a huge response because essentially one is the dream not realized, one is the dream almost realized, and the third one is the dream realized. Great. And that touched a lot of people because everybody has that car they're kind of reaching for all the time. And the message is, reach for it now because there isn't a second act. You know? That's right. You know, I, I, I'm sure Bruce is the same way. Sometimes you've seen uh, guests on talk shows and the person who's doing the interview is trying to fake their way through having interviewing somebody who's a famous author but has not read the book. So we're going to just, for disclosure, say we haven't seen the book um, except for a little bit I, of here and there, so I want to apologize. Oh, I thought, it was, I thought it was sent to you. Sorry. No, no, that's okay. Uh, but uh, thanks for you know kind of bearing with us on, on asking questions that we should have known the answers, answers to, oh, but it's, okay. it's, it's great. That's all right. I want, kind of re want to remind people that uh, we're uh, talking with Rodney Kemmer, uh, who's the author of... Uh, of uh, Tales from the Garage uh, on the Weekly Driver podcast. And um, I guess in another area, I want to go back to your first submission, put you on the spot. Did they ever come around and either apologize or se send you a check <laughs> for well, your work? I don't want to call out Hemmings because Hemmings <laughs> has been very nice to me. Yes. <laughs> um, but, 
No, they did not. What was so interesting is they they ran the piece in a uh, in a column that they ran called Reminiscing, I think, or something yes. like that. Yes. It's like a reader submission thing. No, they never they never contacted me. And then there was a little tiny thing at the bottom of it. It said, you know, uh, selected articles will receive a Hemmings Classic Car baseball cap. No, oh. <laughs> I never got the, I never got the baseball. Oh cap. my gosh! Oh, I think you have more so than finally, that coming. Out of out of sheer desperation. I sent them an email. I said, come on, guys, I've already forgiven you for running this without telling me about it. Yes. I said, but now you're asking me to forgive no baseball cap? Come on. Uh, They sent me the cap. Gotcha. (laughs) I I noticed that you live in Beverly Hills, and that part of the world, I I think it's pretty safe to say there are some tremendous vehicles in, in Southern California. Um, yes, it's like a car show every day. Every day, that's so the way I describe it. That's what the way um, I describe it. if you could put you on the spot a little bit? What what's what's going by your front yard or nearby that you've uh, seen lately that um, struck your fancy, if anything? You know, I literally down the street in front of my house. I mean, it's a thoroughfare. You know, into into Beverly Hills. You know, from the Valley side. Yes. Um, you you actually see. Everything. I mean, they're, they're, they're just and nothing. And you get kind of jaded, to tell you the truth. You know, yes. I'll hear the exhaust note of something, and I'll go, "Oh, that sounds like a '60s Lamborghini or something." You know, and I'll hear it. So you get jaded, and it isn't until you get outside of Beverly Hills that you realize how incredibly rare all these vehicles are. Yes. You know, I play a game with my wife when we're on the freeway. We play a game with who can spot the most interesting car first, Yes, you know, and we can go for miles and not see anything, nothing, nothing. But the closer we get to home, the cars suddenly get more interesting and you go, Oh, look, Oh, look, there's this Yeah, but right was... now, mm-hmm. right now the roads are in Beverly Hills covered with Teslas. I mean, yeah. it's, it's ridiculous. They're pretty popular. Yes. You know? They're incredibly popular. It's putting a little editorializing in here. Sometimes it's hard to figure out why, but that's uh, another topic. I think on another podcast we've covered it well, a few times. You know, I think you know what what we have noticed. What you do notice in Beverly Hills, though, is, is cars are treated more like wardrobe than they are anyplace else. Yes, and well people said. will you know whatever the the car du jour is, you're going to see a lot of them here, and then within a year, two years, it'll be something else. You know, uh, people change their cars frequently. Yes. I'm guessing that um, that the cars that you're seeing, you're talking about the newer, you know, exotics from Italia, from Italy. Um, but what you write about is exactly the opposite, right? Yours have history. Yours have stories. Uh, the new yeah, stuff. Yeah, mine are doesn't. all about the story. You know, mine is all about the story because a car, to me, you know, just a car sitting on the on the street, you know, it's a car. It might be an interesting car, it might be a rare car, but if you don't know what the story is, it's not nearly as interesting. Right. You know, it's like, well, how did it, how many people have had their hands on this or didn't have their hands on it or what did it mean to the people who had it? And I mean, one of the things that, that happened was the, uh, the house that I bought, you know, was an older home and I started doing research on the house and I uncovered that the second owner had been this incredible car guy you know, mm-hmm. during the 40s, and just had the most incredible vehicles on the planet. But one of the vehicles he had was the Duesenberg SSJ. They only made two of them. Oh, my. Um, they made two of them. They gave, they loaned one to Gary Cooper and one to Clark Gable. 
and let them have them for like six months to drive around Hollywood. And then uh, after the six months, they offered to buy, sell it to them at cost, which cost then was about five grand for that car because it was the fastest production car made. And uh, Cooper bought his immediately. And uh, Gable didn't because he already had another two-seater Duesenberg that his wife had given him, and he felt a little awkward about it. And then the guy that used to live in my house worked at MGM. He was a music director, and he heard about it. He was a big car guy, so he bought it. Did you find um, uh, some papers in, in, the, in the history of the house? How did you come up upon this information? Well, I tracked down his widow. Ah, okay. His widow was living up in Pebble Beach. That's, that's something. That is something. And she had become a total recluse. Took me over a year to get her to return my calls. Oh, boy. <laughs> <laughs> but the stories she then told me once we established a relationship was just fantastic. I can only imagine. Um, very cool, though. She, he had a very, they, had, they had a lot of cars, and a lot of really interesting cars. Um, but that Duesenberg really is, is the one. So one of my one of my humble Hondas sits in the same bay that that SSJ sat in. <laughs> that's, that's great. That's pretty good. <laughs> and what I say is, when I go into my garage and I look at the oil stains on those in those three garages, I go, "Is that a Bentley, a Duesenberg, a Rolls Royce, or what is that stain? We don't know." <laughs> <laughs> Maybe there's some professional help out there for you, Rodney, that can help you with that. <laughs> Yeah, well, I try not to look at the oil stains too much. That's you know, good. But that's it, good. It, it has crossed my mind. You know, I just kind of go, "Wow, there's a lot of history here." Sure, sure. Rodney, I just read a little piece uh, the other day in a periodical um, regarding a a guy chasing his dreams and trying to get the car that he uh, used to own 25 years ago, and he right he finally found one in the penny saver or what have you, and and had it delivered. And it was his exact same car, you know, that he that he thought was uh, that he had owned 25 years earlier. And when he was looking for through his papers uh, before he got the car, he found his old car keys and all the VIN and all the whole bit. And so when the car arrived, guess what he did? He took his car keys out, and and you know what happened? <laughs> they worked. I love he that matched, story. He matched the VIN, and it was the exact same car he had oh owned 25 years earlier. Yeah. I love that story. I wish I had written that story. That's the type of stuff that you're, you're dealing with, I, I assume, right? Well, sometimes it's just, you know, if I have to, you know, I just did a piece for, uh, I've, been, I've been just started uh, doing articles for Old Cars Weekly, um, and I've been writing tales from the garage for them. And I just did a piece uh you know, people would say, well, why are you writing about this car? But it was a, uh, a 1976 Volkswagen van that this guy has had bought new in 1976. And he's had it his whole life. And it's been the family car. And I thought, well, there's no really good story here. And I sat down and we had lunch and talked to him for a couple hours. And I realized that's the story. That's Absolutely. the story. <laughs> he's had and the car for 50 years or almost. Exactly. Yeah. And it's never been off the road. And it's not restored, so every scrape and dent and, you know, faded piece of shrinking plastic trim, you know, is the, that family's history in that car. So that's what I wrote about. That's great. Nothing special. It's not a Duesenberg. It's not a Lamborghini. It's just a 1976 stock 
van that has never been restored, but it's this whole family raised his kids, did all that stuff, and I thought that's the story. Well, from where I, from my years here, that's a better story than some of the Lambos or the Dusenbergs. No disrespect, but it's the every every man's car that they've kept right, forever. Yep. That's those are the great stories. Oh yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> and that's what I realized because at first, after I had sort of met with him, and because we just ran into each other, and I saw the car, and I always, when I see somebody with an interesting car, I always sort of stop and say hi and introduce myself and say, "Tell me about your car," you know. And you always get a story. <laughs> sure. It's always a story. You, um, um, you mentioned some of the emails that you've gotten, uh, which are great. I mean, any, any reporter, anybody who writes, um, if somebody writes and it's not just some, somebody who's unhinged and goes after you, which I've oh, had, yeah. had yeah, a few yeah. of those, but when yeah, somebody you're kicks, a communist. I love yeah, those. yeah, you're a communist. Um, <laughs> yeah. If uh, if you get you a nice, know my cat, how yeah. can you know my cat's a communist? <laughs> <laughs> if you, um, if somebody takes the time to write an email and it's you know it's uh, well thought out and so forth and they pay you a compliment or they ask you something or they share a story, you mentioned some of those earlier. Can you share another story that you got where that some some car that you've written about just triggered a family history or uh, maybe maybe even a, a sad story, a memory of some sort from from their family? Hmm. I'm trying to think if anything. Well, well, for example. Um, I did. I, I there's a there's a story in the book called A Tale of No Tale, which is about Bruce Meyer and the Meyer Manx. Yes. And um, I happened to just happened to be sitting at a table, at a lunch table with him at a car show, and didn't even know who he was. Didn't know who he was. Yes. You know, I mean, it was just like he sat down with his wife, and. Um, it, we just hit it off. We just hit it off in just a, one lunch. I went home, I wrote the piece, and then I called up his wife, Winnie. Because what I do with people when I do a piece about them, I don't give them the article to read because I've made that mistake in the past, and what you get back is something that's got a lot of red marks all over it. I understand <laughs> that. Uh, believe <laughs> yeah, me, yeah. I do. So I don't do that. But what I do do, because I believe in historical accuracy, is I call them up and I read them the piece. And I read them the piece, and then I say, is there anything in there that's not correct, you know, that is historically wrong, or did I get anything factually wrong? I'll change that. But I won't change, you know, pretty much what I've said. So I did the thing, the piece on Bruce, and I called up Winnie, because uh, Bruce, his hearing, he, had, he was 95, I think, at the time, and his hearing was pretty bad. And I called him, and I read the piece to Winnie, and she listened, and she stopped, and she said, I cannot believe you got all of that out of him in one lunch. Oh, wonderful. You know? What a compliment. And, she, yep. and I know I was, I was just like thrilled beyond belief. And she said, you know, so much has been written about Bruce over the years and the Meyer Manx. And she said, you've got stuff that nobody's ever touched. Oh, fantastic. So well, I'm, I'm going to tease you with that one. So the, the tale of no tale is actually a, a very good chapter. Well, that's a, that's a great place to, uh, the half hour went by in 30 seconds for me, so I, I'm sure, Bruce, you're great. <laughs> yep. uh, we, you have such enthusiasm coming through on your voice. It's great to talk to somebody who just seems to thoroughly enjoy what they do, so thank you for that. And, well, you know, this is that classic thing where people's, you know, the best advice you can ever be given is find it what it is is your passion and find what it is that you love to do and just do it and you'll never work a day in your life. That's right. So we want to thank our guest, uh, 
uh, Rodney Kemmer, uh, and his book is uh, Tales from the Garage. I'm sure it's available on all the major outlets. Well, it's, it's on Amazon. Amazon, uh, of course. I've limited it to Amazon. Gotcha. And there's a website um, which gives you more information about the book, which is talesfromthegarage.com. Fantastic. Um, and you'll see it there, and I hope you guys get a chance to take a quick look. And we will. Find something in there that grabs your attention. I'm Be a sure good uh, Christmas gift. I'm yeah, thinking. a good Christmas gift for people out there. Thanks, Bruce, for that. That's a good tip. Well, no, actually, that's the other email I've been getting is that people, you know, sort of friends, you know, who, uh, friends, eh, hold on, wait a minute. I thought I turned it off. Um, friends who buy one copy, and then I hear from them and they say, oh, no, I just ordered six more because I realized, you know, I have all these friends that are car people or whatever, sure, and they'll sure. make a great gift and stuff. Absolutely. So that's kind of that's kind of fun. Sure it is. Well, thank you, sir. Thanks for being the, right, our guys, guest. I hope on I the... didn't talk too much. No, oh, you, no, it's perfect. Thank you for being the guest, our guest today on the Weekly Driver Podcast. And um, Thanks for having me. Happy holidays, sir. You too. Thank you. Bye now. Bye-bye. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.